0: Welcome to Launch Your Wealth. Jonah Lemons here, your podcast host, real estate entrepreneur, and a mom of six talented kids. Welcome once again, and thank you so much for tuning in. We are making it across the globe, from Canada to USA, Germany, Norway, Australia, Philippines, Israel, Russia, just to name a few, and in this episode, it is a special featured co-host with Ryan Cruz. He is actually my second born and the reason why we are both co-hosting this episode is to share that positive voice, to be an inspiration to the younger generation, to the youth. And because we are in the middle of this pandemic, there are so many student athletes awaiting for their opportunities to get that scholarship and to enter their college lives in 2021 moving forward. It's such an amazing opportunity to also be with him as far as sharing the young and the older version of our opinions, our insight and our take on life, career and education development, entering the entrepreneurial world, improving our mindset and emotional intelligence are the most important things that I believe as a mom and as a woman entrepreneur but more importantly being in today's time I truly believe that teaching our children while you can take that opportunity and embrace it and this is one way for me to be that to Ryan and I'm so glad he is here to join us and we have been so fortunate and graced with our special featured guest jerome myers of myers methods multi-family investor real estate entrepreneur business owner ex-football player and ex-football coach and more importantly a son and an amazing dad a family man so let's get started on this open conversation about life, football, business, and everything in between. So I'm so glad to have Jerome Myers and Ryan Cruz on this episode. So welcome, uh, both of you. And uh, yeah, I mean, share with us, you know, what that meant to you, not being the first pick, how you got started in that sport what were the main struggles and how, how did you really overcome? You know, I mean, ACL injury, then playing division one football. And then now where you're at your real estate investor, you're, you're building your enterprise, you're making your parents proud. I mean, this is just in a short time that I got to know you. And so that's been a privilege and a treat. So thank you so much. But I mean, take it away, you know, let us know how it all began.
1: So I'm the son of a soldier and stay at home mom, believe it or not. I lived in the same house for 18 years, even though I'm an army brat. Uh but you know, that is really the origin story. I, I learned about discipline, I learned about focus, I learned about being involved in a lot of different things and staying engaged because that was something that would keep me out of trouble. Right. And so, you know, while my dad was overseas. Uh, serving in Korea my mother got me involved in sports she wanted me to be around other guys and you know as far as from a coaching perspective even though she was my first coach in t-ball but you know the next year I was playing football and we played flag football I was six and you know I, I wanted to be a pro football player like every other kid that turns on the tube and I I played for 16 years after that believe it or not and it was kind of hard to imagine life without it. And so after I got out of school, I started coaching. And so I coached for seven years. And at the high school level, after I would go to work all day as an engineer, Um, you know, I I could go in a bunch of different directions. And I want to make this as helpful as I can for Ryan. But I guess what I will say is like sports saved my life. I, I grew up in a community, just to put things in context for the listeners, where, you know, we played football in the street and we played basketball and on that same street in front of the house that we played in front of every day um, a g- father walked out of his house his two sons had moved back home this was when i was away in college and they decided not to go to college and they were selling drugs oh, and the father wow. walked out on probably saturday morning with his cup of coffee and he was murdered on his front porch in oh, the goodness. part where we used to play all the time right and so when i say Sports saved my life. I I mean it. Like, I could have been right there. These were people that I spent a lot of time with, especially before we got into the high school level, because my schedule wasn't as demanding as it became when I was doing all the AP classes and playing football and being in the different clubs. I just didn't have time for nonsense. And so, you know, and that set me up for everything else, right? When I went to school and working and Uh, tutoring and volunteering and being leaders of different extracurricular activities and playing the sport and studying engineering had I not cultivated that habit when I was at home then there's no way I could have handled it at the next level
0: right you know
1: I if I think back to when I was five and what I told my mom playing in the yard I wanted to be a garbage man like that was (laughs) and it was cool because he had lifestyle. So right. my dad would get up, he'd go to work, and he'd leave at 5 or 5.30, and he'd come back home at 6 or 6.30. He worked a Carolina half day. That's what you call it, you know, 12 hours at least is what you do for work. And sometimes I would be frustrated because I'd be ready to eat dinner and he still wasn't home, oh. right? And so it it's how privileged was I to right. approach, right? But it was just a frame of, hey, I'm hungry, why do you work so much when the guy that lives at the other end of the cul-de-sac can be home every day at three o'clock in the afternoon? I mean, right. and, you know, if you were home, then you could play catch with me. And I mean, it, when you think about it from a child's perspective, I mean, they want to play, yeah. right? And all they really want is your time. The money isn't as important. And it's not until you become get older and you start putting things in perspective that you realize that income matters, uh, but job doesn't, right? Uh, My mom told me when I told her I wanted to be a garbage man that I needed a job that would provide the lifestyle that I wanted. Mm. I had had jeans, I had name brand stuff. And it was stuff that she told me that I should want, stuff that I should want to covet. But the reality of the situation is I didn't need a job. I needed an income source. And that is a true paradigm shift, right? I think a lot of us think that money only comes from having a job and what I've learned. And I, the funniest part about all of it is it took me going to college and sitting on a stoop with my buddy to realize that your time and your money aren't correlated, at least. Oh. Right? Aiden. so we're sitting there and I'm paying three ninety five for my bedroom. I got two roommates, they're each paying three ninety five. Same thing's happening downstairs in my buddy's unit. We multiply it out and the guy that owned the complex was making $700,000 a year top line. He was like, I wanna do that, right? We've never seen him. We've never talked to him. We have no idea how he did this, but
0: <laughs> right.
1: he was making money and he didn't have to do anything in you know theory or concept from our perspective to actually get that money. And so I eventually I did go get a job after graduating and still wading through it. But that's when I realized, hey, I probably need to get back to that. And so how can you buy assets that produce income? And by owning those assets, you get to control the income that comes from it. And it's not a, a trade of your time for money. And so, you know, I'll stop there. and Maybe we can just do some Q&A or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, you know, do you think that making that money and that sort of idea that, you know, because this is my struggle when I, when I talk to my younger kids, not Ryan, Ryan has a, has a pretty good notion of like what he needs to do and what he wants to do. So I give him that respect to say, you know, you have your canvas, you, you can paint whatever it is you need to paint on that. But shed some light on, do you think at that point when you were in college and you were thinking about that, what was going through your mind as far as, Is having money in that time, was it based on fulfilling the money idea that you can spend it and have that freedom? Or is it more of, I need to make that money and create this lifestyle that somehow my parents are going to validate and say, I'm proud of you?
1: you Uh, So I never had that challenge. Um, Mm. I was going to be proud of me regardless of what I did, as long as I wasn't on the news for breaking the law. Right, um, I, re- I remember distinctly <laughs> conversation with my dad where he said, "You know, I'm proud of you." And I kind of looked at him because it was probably one of the less than five times that he actually used those word the word "proud." Right? Like, for what he was like, well, you haven't been to prison or jail. You don't have any kids, and you're graduating with honors. And I was like, "That's a pretty low bar, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> so for him, he considered that success. I mean, he right. graduated from high school when he was 16 and he went to the Marines and that was really the only option he had other than getting in trouble. And so, you know, it's really interesting to see the progression of what's acceptable and what people can do in between generations. And so, you know, for me, it's really been about, I want to make them proud, right? but they don't put any Constraints on what that looks like. I, I was never told that, hey, you need to be a lawyer or a doctor. I was told I couldn't be a trash man, but <laughs> on the company, right? And she, it was never a situation where my dream was killed. It was, hey, how can we figure out how to do this better? Right. Mm-hmm. And it, if that's what you want to do, we're going to figure out how to do it, but we want to do it as smart as possible yeah. so that. You know, when you look back, you actually appreciate where you um, ended up. And I remember when I was uh, engaged to get married and my dad looked at me and said, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, of course. Right. And he just let it go. And then when I was getting divorced and we talked about it again, I was like, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, I did. I asked you if you were sure. Oh, right. <laughs> it's just kind of been like support. It's like, right. OK, what he wants to do. We're not gonna let them run into a brick wall. We'll warn them about things that, you know, we know are gonna to lead to a problem. But outside of that, it's your life to live and we're here to support you. And that it was the experience right. I had.
0: That's, that's, you know, that's quite relatable. What do you think, Ryan? I mean, you know, so far, like, how has it been, you know, for you this this past year, you know, trying to discover your path and then hearing something like this from, you know, a story of student athlete having, you know, my question on that too, is your dad went to the Marines. That was, I mean, that's not an easy feat. Like what was like, what did he share with you? You know, like my experience when I served and like, did he ever talk about those things? I'm just curious for my own because I've met a lot of, you know, service men and women, and I know they don't really talk about it with their young kids yet. So I'm just wondering like, how was that for you? You know, knowing that they wanted better for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, so my mom grew up really poor. Um, Mm. Her mother was a sharecropper to put things in perspective. And so, you know, for me, I'm I'm really two generations removed from being in slavery. And so, and don't, you know, my dad's grandfather was the first free man in his lineage. Before that, you know, our, our ancestors who were from Nigeria were slaves. And, you know, he got a job driving a bus. And then my dad's dad wasn't really around all that much. So everything that my dad learned about being a man came from his grandfather.
0: Mm.
1: So that he changed his last name from his dad's last name to his grandfather's last name. And so, you know, my dad was really, really um, steeped in like your surname. You're doing it for your surname, not your first name. Like,
0: All right. Yeah
1: similar like when people put their names on the back of their jerseys it's always for the name on the front of the jersey not the one on the back Mm -hmm. and you know those are some really tight lessons but what I will say about the my dad really only told me about he got deployed to do a Vietnam war evacuation Mm -hmm. um, shortly after joining because that was the time of history we were in and It was just his prayer that if he ever got back to American soul, that he would do everything right. And I mean, as far as I know, he's pretty much lived up to that. I mean, he's been like the head deacon in every church that they've participated in and so on and so forth. So, you know, that's kind of the extent of it. Um, You know what I learned more from my dad, from watching than Mm. talking to him. He's very reserved, very quiet. He only speaks when, you're about to get hurt or get in trouble. And outside of that, he just wants you to live. And that's what he teaches me in particular. He's like, you gotta live. Like if you don't, you only get one shot and you gotta make the most of it. And so I just watched, right? And he worked really hard. If he told somebody he was going to do it, he did whatever it was going to take in order to get it done. Or he told them that he couldn't, they could that he couldn't do it and then made a contingency plan for what he could do. And then they came to a new agreement or not. And, you know, your word being your bond is everything. If I shake your hand and look you in the eye and tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's kind of radical and uncommon in today's world, but it's. (laughs) 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 Right. Um, So he, it's always for my dad in particular, like he, he jumped out of airplanes for 20 years. Right, so wow. he got the Marines, went back to New York, did a security job for a little while. Then he enlisted in the army, and while he was in the Marines, he and my mom were in Alaska, and they met there. And she was in the Navy, and then she came back to North Carolina. And then he ended up stationed at Fort Bragg, and so they started in a trailer, and then they built a house, and you know, then they built another house, and it's just like for their entire adult lives, basically, they've been together. And, you know, you don't see one without the other very often, but they're very different people. My dad is social, he enjoys being active in the community and trying to create things. He's um, on the town council, but, you know, I'm kind of rambling, but the point is, like, there wasn't a whole lot of talking, mm. a whole lot of action, right? And so, you know, I want to do this is probably the conversation and that's the extent of it. And then you see the action start happening. Yeah. To this. And I think a lot of people do a bunch of talking and then they're light on the action where I think the truly successful people are flip. There's a little bit of talk, just a signal, Hey, this is about to happen. And then you see them go to work and you might rub your, you know, scratch up your brow or rub your head and scratch <laughs> yeah. your, what's going on. But you know that they're going to work and you know I that is meaningful for me and I think that's um kind of been my thing and you learn it in sports right you get challenged there's an opportunity to do something you got the guys who I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that during the game and then they get to the game and nothing happens and it's because they didn't do the work in practice then you got the guys who don't really say anything they put their mouthpiece in they shut up and they go play right and then they come back and it's like okay and then it's game time and it actually, sh- the work shows up. It, I've, you know, coming back to never being first, like I, I've, I've never been the most talented, I've never been the fastest, I've never been the strongest. But there wasn't a person that was gonna outwork me. There wasn't a person who was gonna know my assignment better than I did. And because of that, I was probably more desirable than some of the other folks, just because you're operating a system and a strategy, right, and you're implementing that and Every coach is looking for somebody to be their general on the battlefield. And that leadership gets cultivated. And when you have the answers and when you're consistent and when you um, deliver on a regular basis, that's when people seek you and that's when you begin to have influence. And I believe that's a difference maker Uh, where the sports is great. And if you get to play for a short while, you know, make four years and get your pension. Awesome. But the skills that you learn will allow you to lead your family, allow you to lead in a workplace, allows you to lead in a community. And that is where you make a true impact. Like for me personally, I believe there's only one success and that's significance. Mm -hmm. You being able to impact the lives of others in a positive way. And so if you can do that regularly, then I think you're leading a successful life. It doesn't really matter how much money you're making. What matters is when people leave you they're better off versus Mm. I see a lot of people doing where they're just trying to take everything they can take
0: from folks. So I'm just curious when you were playing, did you see that? Did you ever experience that? Did you think it affected where you were headed? Well,
1: so there's a couple of different things and I'll try to keep all the layers straight. The first one is, so it's, it's a great lesson in life, right? So if something's not working because of the people in the environment, then you either have to change the environment or change what you're trying to get to work. Right? Doesn't matter if it's playing time on a sports field, getting a promotion at work or anything okay. else. Like you can't, if it's somebody else's opportunity and you're vying for the opportunity, you've just got to make it undeniable that you're the person that's supposed right. to have that opportunity. Right? You've got to outwork everybody. you got to check every box. You don't want to give them any excuse on why you aren't the choice you and you just the way I used to say it is you got to embarrass everybody else like when they look and they they can't say oh well we can't play them because eventually they can do it if there's if it's close right it's like oh well you know it's close enough it's not going to make that big of a difference but when you're just whoever your competition is when you're dominating them that person you're competing with for that starting job and you, you just drag them over again, you, you do all the extras, all the little things, then people are going to start asking like, what are you doing? Yeah. Right? And the other piece of this, I will say, having been a coach and being on the other side of it is the coaches want to put the people on the field who they think give them the best opportunity to win. Right? I mean, you don't stay in the job long if you lose. Right? So by sabotaging it just because this or that is not in your best interest does everybody have the same moral compass and integrity no but we know that's the case in every environment what you have to look for is you know being that person that they can count on because that's what every coach is looking for Mm -hmm. football about assignments football in particular is about assignments i need you to do this and if you do this and the other person beside you does that then all these things work together to deliver the result right But as soon as somebody starts going off assignment or just freelancing then everything breaks down and then other people have to make up for that. And the person who that all eventually boils up to is that position coach or that coordinator or eventually the head coach. And so, you know, it's extremely important that you do all of the intangibles and that's on and off the field. Mm -hmm. And you be you be that leader, you be that example. And just by showing up in that consistency you're guaranteed success because there aren't enough people who are willing to do that. There are going to be people that you're competing against who are just more talented than you. They just have better genes. It's just, They're just faster or they're just stronger naturally. And that's great. But do they know the assignment? Because they can be as fast and as strong as they want to be, but if they don't know the assignment, they're a, they're a vulnerability to the team. And so then you get past that. All right, well, how can I know more about who we're playing than anybody else? So when the opportunity presents itself, I've got the answers to all the questions. And not only that, but I'm showing up at the right place at the right time and anticipating all the things. You know, I specifically remember uh, there was a press release where they were going through all the um, key players on each team, kind of a like a roundup. And my head coach said, Jerome Myers knows the defense better than the defensive coordinator, right? I can adjust the whole thing while the guy's on the sideline and tell everybody what to do. And that was my role. It was to take and execute the business plan or the strategy that we created for that week. And you know, when you can do that, you become more valuable than anything else because they know that people are going to be in the right place at the right time. And so, and th- I mean that, but that lesson goes so far, right? If you're in real estate and you don't have money, but you know that you can execute the business plan, people are going to put money with you because they can count on you and they can rely on you. It's just a continuous cycle. And th- I think that's the one thing that I've liked most about football is you either did it or you didn't, right? You, right? you made the tackle or you didn't. You caught the ball or you didn't. You jumped off sides or you didn't. Like there isn't a ton of gray. There isn't a, a bunch of game playing. It is, you either did this or you didn't. And a lot of people don't like that. They like to play in the gray because they don't want to actually be graded on their production. Mm-hmm. And right. so when you learn how to produce and you're a consistent producer or a performer, let me call it a performer, then life changes dramatically because you think about the world in a very different space. Um, and for some people, you will create a lack of tolerance, but it's because you have the expectation of performance and if you re- expect that of yourself and then you go out into the marketplace and do other things, whether it's competing at a university or competing for a, a role or a contract or you know a property whatever it is, you're in a good position to do so, right because you've cultivated that habit and so you know I, I think. So few people actually get that great experience. And when the first time that they're trying to perform, it's when, you know, it's dire. Instead of, hey, you know, if I miss the tackle at a tackle of the football game, maybe they score a touchdown. Whooptie do. I'm gonna go try it again and keep trying it again. And hopefully that happens at practice. So when get we get in the game, it doesn't happen, right? right. But when your family's counting on you to produce right, To bring home the bacon or to make sure that the bills get paid, right. uh, you're not that pressure can be crushing, right because you're just not a you're not used to it. you haven't flexed that muscle. And so the more opportunities people get to flex the muscle, I think the better off they are to handle bigger pressures later in life. Right. I'm
0: so glad I'm so glad that you touched on that because I think in the entrepreneurial aspect of it, you know, people are counting on you because you're kind of like, you know, what I tell my kids, you know, being an entrepreneur sounds so fancy, but it's really in the world of, of problem solving, right? Like you're problem solving some way, somehow, somewhat. And, you know, one thing that I like is that you're right, you know, being in sports, specifically football, it's a lot of that, you know, the, the precision, being able to critically think being able to really own up to your mistakes as well. So I think, you know, in correlation with real estate, entrepreneurship, because that is his interest. And I'm sure there's many more young millennials going into that in this new era that we have and and new decade. You know, it's pushing us that way because of all the the changes that's happening economically. I mean, you know, career-wise, the college education has become like a new topic now. I don't know how in-depth, you know, um, it's going to go, but I I think it's it's going to be a major change in college. Um, you know, again, it's, it's very costly. So it's not even an option anymore to feel like, hey, I'm going to go to college and figure out what I need to do. It's almost like you need to know before you go to college <laughs> so that you're not wasting that tuition fee that, you know, somehow am I going to get a student grant? Am I going to get a scholarship? So take us back like when you ended up, being on your last year and you ended up playing division one and why i'm bringing this up is because i think whether you're going into the entrepreneurial world after college i think there's so many lessons that they still have to be flexible in learning you know like some you know some young people and i you know i'm not generalizing but i know with my eldest son he he thinks oh mom you're just saying that i i I know it already Kind of, you know, like I know everything. You don't, you can't really relate because you're older. So I'm just saying, you know, with with Ryan specifically, when I kind of, you know, have a chance to chat with him, I say, you know, there's a whole new life after college. So that's another transition you have to make. So when you put that in your mind and you're starting to learn now, at least you're preparing yourself to dive into that, you know, cold water per se. So take us, you know, I'm, I'm really curious on that. Like when you graduated high school. Take it from there and share with us like that experience going to college and playing football and being able to take on that degree. And then after you graduated, how did you end up going into the whole construction, engineering, and now real estate?
1: Yeah, so, you know, my last game, I tore my ACL. We were in the playoffs. It was early in the first quarter and I thought somebody, they cut back. I, I popped it. It was one of the most excruciating experiences I ever had. I played until halftime with a torn ACL and then I swole up and I couldn't do anything else. And I mean, when you become the guy, when you become the leader and you go down in action, you know, I mean, the the bus ride was an hour and a half away from our school. I cried the entire time blaming myself. Right. And so it was like, is this the end? And the craziest part about all of it was my phone stopped ringing, right? So I was getting recruiting visits. People were coming to talk to me, and I was getting courted, and had people come sit at the dining room table so they could hear my dad tell them how I was the best free safety in the state, and da 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 da, right? <laughs> and you know, at the end of the day. Nobody wanted to talk to me anymore because I had a pretty significant injury and there wasn't any way I was going to play, you know, at a high level the next year because I hadn't had surgery yet. And so in January, I had the surgery and I started rehabbing and, you know, I, I graduated and it was like, what am I going to do? Mm. and you know during the spring I I got scholarships all this stuff i worked out and you know fortunately I was doing really well academically and so I I got a full academic ride and Mm. some of that was probably helped by the football coach being interested in having me participate on the team and so there was a couple of other guys from my school going to the same university and they were on athletic scholarship and they were going early and so I went uh, in July and did two classes in summer school to get started, right? Because during the fall, you take a lighter workload. I mean, right. I think it's 20 hours a week just allocated to football. And that's if you don't travel. And then you spend basically the whole day Saturday if you got a Saturday game, if you're traveling and participating with the team. So, you know, I, I got a medical red shirt and mm-hmm. just sat out that first year, and practice, worked out, ran, and I remember my first day. I oh, man, <laughs> the, we had a gym underneath the bleachers when I got there. University's grown tremendously, and there was no AC. It was cinder block walls, and it was just a sauna. And I remember it was an afternoon workout, and you're not supposed to do this, but the coach did it. He, it was he. All the new guys were there for the first day, and so we went in. And we did one of the most aggressive leg workouts I've ever seen. And, you know, he's picking with us and basically just trying to break us. We're sweating, we're drenched in sweat and then we finish and then we go to the track and he gives us a track workout. And I mean, it was brutal. People throwing up. I mean, it was just like, welcome to college football. Like right. you guys aren't in shape. We've been working for months. You think you're just going to show up and be great? We got news for you. It's a totally different level. And what I learned, and I mean, you know, this was my first really hard workout because I was doing my own thing w- with my brace and right. just trying to get back into space. But you know, my knee swelled up huge. I'm icing it. I'm in pain. It's like, oh man, this is awful. And it's like, I don't know if I can do this, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Maybe this is too hard. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to quit. He's not going to break me. And so we continue to go through it and fight through the process. And, you know, I, I go through the first year of medical, the next year I make special teams, start traveling. And then eventually I earn a starting role after changing positions from secondary and safety to being a linebacker. And, you know, that it told me a lot. And I think one of the, probably the most humbling things is you go from being the guy to being nothing.
0: Right.
1: right. right? Uh, you, you go back to being a warmer, you go back to being the guy well, that I'm humbling.
0: zero. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so, you know, it's humbling. And if you think about like entrepreneurship, you think about getting a job, like you, you gotta, you gotta have humility. Right. When you go you, you gotta have confidence about you. But if you go in and you're the guy and you got your chest poked out and you're arrogant, like that doesn't work anywhere. You need to come in, you need to be humble and you need to be about your business. And so, you know, I think that was a great lesson for me. It's you know, always be in a position of looking to learn and pick up things from the people that you meet along the way, especially and you can learn so much from somebody who is uh, doing what you aspire to do. You don't need to go figure it out on your own. You don't need somebody else to tell you. Just watch what the guy in front of you is doing and you'll pick up a whole lot and understand a lot from that. And if you don't understand, then you absolutely ask a question. But um, you know, having an iron will, being unbreakable, being willing to persist and get through it the best way that you can without quitting, regardless of how much they put on you, is a life lesson because it gets hard there will, if somebody tells you your life's always going to be peachy and rosy and everything's going to go as planned, they're lying. And I think for men in particular, it's a lesson that we don't want to share. We don't, we don't want to share the struggle. We don't want to share the pain. We want everybody to think that everything's good all the time. And, you know, when people ask how you're doing, you're taught to say, okay, even if life sucks right now. Mm-hmm. And you've got to pick and choose who you share with, but you absolutely need to be able to have that conversation. Because if you don't, then you might not get out of that hole depending on how deep it gets. And there's a lot of self-destructive habits that people adopt in order to soothe that pain instead of processing it and dealing with it by talking to somebody who understands where you are and has made it to the other side of that. And so you know, I remember you know the pressure being so heavy in college, where I questioned whether or not I wanted to live. Right? It was just like, wow, add everything. Like, I mean, just let me let me put it in perspective, right? Sure, sure. I played football. I had had two jobs on campus because I wanted to make money while I was in school. I had you know I was studying engineering. I. I was in extracurricular activities. I was president of this, secretary of that. And you know, I I would wake up at four and I'd be going until midnight once you do homework. And then I get up and I'd do that again.
0: Do it again. Uh And again,
1: and again, and again. And there was nothing but pressure. And what I knew was if I didn't have a 3.8 or a 3.9 or a 4.0 for the semester that i might lose my scholarship right and so it was just like okay how can i how can i get that edge how can i get the next thing and you know you get tired eventually you get tired and it's like or i don't want to do this anymore but once you're in again you don't quit you finish like you just and especially when it's got a predefined path the thing with entrepreneurship which is why so many people are suicidal in this space especially for the millennials, is because there is no predefined exit. You go to college, they tell you how many credits you got to get. They tell you what classes you have to take. When you get an entrepreneurship and you think, hey, all I got to do is X, Y, and Z, and then my plan is going to work, and you get to Z, and you need to do A, A, B, B, C, C, and all the way to Z, Z, and actually to get the thing to work, people, they don't understand. They don't get it. And that becomes crushing because now they're a failure, right? They've had situations where everything worked and went as planned, or they had people around them creating this um, thought process that it did, or it was somebody else's fault if it didn't. And now they sit in a space where, no, it's really on you because you know when you're the entrepreneur, when you're the leader, when you're the organizer, you're the only one. I mean, it all comes, the buck stops with you. And if you run out of money or if you don't have enough sales or whatever else, you know, that's on you. And a lot of people haven't, back to flexing that muscle, they haven't prepped for that type of responsibility. And so, you know, I, I went through that and we moved on and I I was able to leave and I graduated in four years. I had a 3.9 GPA. I got a, had two choices. I could go do my PhD or go in the workforce and I wanted to start building wealth. And so I went into the workforce and Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to close on my first home a week or so before I started my full job, full time job, went, started the job, got identified as a high potential, worked there for a few years and started making a little over six figures. And then I was on the leadership track. And then 2009 happened and one of my sponsors, his uh, position got eliminated in the organization. And so I was in a job that he told me to go to because it was going to change my career. And I was miserable. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. And so I left eventually and went to a different company. And then the guy said, hey, we want you to commit timesheet fraud because of blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I have to leave that company. I go to another one. And <laughs> really cool. But in that transition from, that last, from the company where I was, had to commit timesheet fraud or I was going to get fired or whatever to the new company, um, you know, I, I got a, a pay increase. I think it was like $20,000 or whatever. But what happened was I had to give up coaching football because I was traveling all around the country and the world in a consultant role. Um, you know, at one point I was in Africa for a couple of months and, you know, it was just like, I got to see so much more, mm-hmm. but I felt like I gave up my ability to have true impact and influence mm-hmm. be- for the extra money. And so, you know, you start to evaluate once once you start making over 75 or 80 grand a year, your life doesn't change that much with the next promotion or the next pay increase. It's not Whether you have a Toyota Camry or a Nissan GTR, I've had both, it still gets you from point A to point B. It doesn't change all that much. Whether you live in a 2,400 square foot house or a 6,000 square foot house, I've had both. It doesn't change your world all that much. What changes your world is when somebody looks at you are they grateful for your presence? What changes your world is when you put somebody in position and open the door for them that they couldn't have opened for themselves. Like that is what actually makes a difference in the world. And so, you know, whether it's a post on LinkedIn or having a conversation one-on-one like this, for me, this is ministry, right? This is my, my contribution for all of the gifts and successes that I've had along the way. You know, I I was at lunch with a couple of guys. They they've got a 233 unit apartment building and we're going to partner so that I can take over ownership of that asset. It's just the three of us in the deal, right? And we were talking about at lunch today about my buddy Hambone. He played linebacker at my high school and he was in the Navy and in 2012, in December, he died. Just his brother died like six weeks before, and then he died right after that.
0: Oh, my goodness. And,
1: you know, that mother lost both of her sons.
0: Wow.
1: What it, it wasn't like it was it wasn't war. It wasn't any, anything like that. It was just like a heart condition or something. And it, he was one of the best people pound for pound that I've ever known. Like one of the kindest, smartest Um, hardworking, dedicated people that I've ever met. And I go to his funeral and I I realize one, I hadn't talked to him since high school, right? Mm It had been 12 years since I talked to the guy. So why was I going to his funeral? Because I didn't know him anymore. His whole life had changed. He'd become an adult. Right? And I, I didn't know if he was married. I didn't know anything about him. I just remember the guy that I was beside in the pitcher for our football from senior year. I remember being co-captains with him. I remember how we used to be in the weight room. If nobody else would come, it would be me and him. And it was all of those memories of me becoming who I was. And he was a part of that. Right, And so I had to be there for that. But it was my promise to myself that if he wasn't here then i needed to live I, I needed to prove that i deserved the breath that i had in my body because pound for pound he was a better person than me right he was a nicer person he he had he was more loving than me so why why should i be here if i wasn't going to make the most of it right and so you start to you get these experiences it looks like money is everything it looks like it's all the success but There is something to be said for, you know, showing up and being a pillar in the community and in your home and making a positive impact for those people who are coming up behind you. And you don't have to be an adult. You don't have to be rich to do any of these things. Like I remember in high school, I was a DARE role model. Right. I don't think the DARE program is around anymore, but we go to elementary school and tell kids not to use drugs and let them ask questions about football. And it was just this cultivation of giving back in the community. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that I really answered the question, but... You
0: did, know, you, did you stay in the same area? Like, I, did you go back to where you were raised, born?
1: No. You
0: know? so, oh, so you're in a different, different uh, demographic or geographic, rather, location.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the way I think about the place that I grew up, it was a trap, right? We had mm-hmm. really three options. You could go work at the tire plant, You could go in the military, you could sell drugs. That's when I think about the majority of the people that I grew up with, that's what they did. Mm -hmm. I was the guy that went off to college. I played football. I did all these things and I'm the weirdo, right? I'm I'm living this life where my mom can go brag about what her baby's doing. And, you know, there were times when I was miserable in doing that, but I learned a ton and those lessons serve me well today, I think.
0: Wow, that's uh. I'm just taking it all in because you know I'm I'm speaking from a being a mom, you know, seeing her sons, you know, Mm -hmm. try to do this whole discovery in their life, and it's like, you know, like that's like putting me in a in a cold, you know, ocean. Well,
1: I think the value of that is like they know you care, right? So there's that piece that there are some people who don't have anybody that cares about them. Right. And so there's a ton of value there. The second piece of this though, is I think you're justified in how you feel. And so the thing that I only worked with varsity kids, I I didn't like the JV kids all that much. And when I was coaching, it was all about making sure that we cultivated a relationship Mm -hmm. so that they had somebody that they could come talk to. There's this gap, right? Where you have parents, where you can't tell the parents what you're thinking or what you're trying to figure out because you're going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. You have your friends who you can tell them all about it, but they're dumb, right? They don't know anything and they're going to give you bad advice. And so you need somebody to fill that space where they actually know something, they've had some life experience, but they can come and have that safe conversation. And I think, you know, for a lot of kids, they, avoid talking to their parents even though they could give them the best advice because they're scared of the reaction and so you know if parents aren't going to be affirming and listening instead of condoning and some of the other things then their kid has probably one or two options either go talk to their friends and do something dumb or look it up on google right or they find some mentor or somebody else who they can speak to candidly and confidence about the things that they're working through because they're old enough where they can get in trouble, but not be able to take care of all the consequences that come with that trouble. Right. And so, you know, it's coaches are that gap for a lot of people. It's like, coach, I'm doing this or they'll see them interacting with the girl or, you know, whatever. And be like, Hey, you, you might want to watch out for this and just the guidance piece of it. And, the only way that that really works, especially with the bravado for guys is, there's a level of respect. Mm. You got to respect. If they don't have the respect, then it doesn't work. They don't want to hear, they don't listen, so.
0: Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. Jerome, thank you so much for, for being a part of this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all your advice. Um, I really t- uh, taken away a lot of uh, great uh, like lessons um, that you went through. And, you know, just your words of wisdom to really help me on my own journey. And yeah, I've just been grateful to be on it. And there you have it. That was an unbelievable conversation that could have continued on. Ryan and I are so excited, so thrilled. And really, it's been an inspiring opportunity to be here and have Jerome Myers of Myers Methods, who happens to be a father, as well. And so he truly understands more than just business real estate, and being this entrepreneur, there's so much more to life. And the purpose of this podcast has really become more apparent than ever. And it's my responsibility, as well as my opportunity to share this with Ryan, who happens to be my son, and I'm so glad he is debuting here at Launcher Wealth. And to all of our listeners, moms, dads, educators, teachers, coaches, this is dedicated to you. I hope that you tune in in the many more upcoming episodes as Ryan and I uncover, explore, and converse, and discuss many more topics that is about life lessons, about sports, about being a student, being a parent, and going beyond and breaking that limiting belief and taking a stance on a new life on a new opportunity that the new decade is bringing to all of us. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much, Jerome, for joining us in this official first episode with Ryan Cruz. Until the next one, we will see you soon.